you'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 6. We're starting a new sermon series this morning. I'm excited about it. We're starting a new sermon series in the Gospel of John. And we're going to study seven statements that Jesus made in, in the Gospel of John uh, that all begin with the two words, I am. Um, and these are incredibly important, informative, and, and a lot of John's Gospel is structured around these statements. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to dive into these and, uh, and hopefully work our way through these for the, for the next couple of weeks, next few weeks here. Um, the Gospel of John has a really unique perspective, and I think it would be, it would be wrong for us to, to not spend a little bit of time talking about John's perspective on the life of Jesus. Uh, the Gospel of John was, uh, was written quite a bit after Jesus went up into heaven, so this is John's reflections on, on Jesus' life. John was a young guy when he walked with Jesus on, on the earth, but he was, he was in the inner circle. He was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, really the, the three uh, disciples, Peter, James, and John, uh, that walked very closely and had a very intimate relationship with Jesus. They were on the, the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and there were many instances where, where Jesus addresses these guys uh, very specifically. And so John had a real intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And, and when he comes to write his gospel, I believe that that's his goal for us as well. Right? That's his goal. He wants us to have an equally intimate relationship with, with Jesus. John had a lot of time to reflect on the things that Jesus said and he did. He organizes his gospel in a way that helps us to recognize who Jesus is, and not only who he is, but how we can know him in, like I said, that intimate way. So John even gives us kind of a, a, a purpose statement for his book that comes at the end of the book. It comes in John chapter 20. <clears throat> I'm just going to read this for us. This is verses 30 and 31 of John chapter 20. John writes this. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in him. So this is the whole reason why John writes his gospel. He wants his readers, he wants those people who, who are going to pick this up and, and read it to understand and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that they might have everlasting life. John is saying that he recorded what Jesus did in order for the re that the reader might believe that Jesus is God's provision for his people. And this is the way that God is demonstrating his love for his people and then saving his people. And this really dovetails kind of with what we want to, what we want to look at these seven statements in the Gospel of John. Uh, the goal behind kind of this series, as we, as we enter into it, the goal behind looking at these seven statements is to know Jesus, to know Jesus, not just to know about Jesus, but to know Jesus. And that's, there's, a very, there's a very distinct understanding that we have to have. It's, it's not just about knowing about someone. Because we as people can go onto Facebook or social media of your choice and learn a lot about somebody and not really know them. You can learn a lot about somebody. You can, you can find out their dog's name and their hobbies and uh, where they like to vacation and all of these different things and not really know that person. And I think in our society we struggle with this. 
I think in our society we struggle with the idea that we know someone when we don't. Just like how many of you have been in a situation where someone brings something up that you've never talked with them about, like that's personal to you? Like, oh hey, I, I, you know, like something that, um, oh I saw that you were in Mexico, or I heard that you were in Mexico, or something like that. Well, well, how did you know that? Like that's so weird. Like we live on opposite sides of the state, and like just like, well, I was just like, I googled you. It's like that, to me, that, that you know a lot about someone in that instance, but you don't actually know someone. There's no, there's no personal, intimate relationship in, 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 that, in that sort of interaction. So John wants us to know Jesus. John doesn't just want us to approach Scripture and to look at the things that we see contained there within about Jesus and to know about him. But he really wants that knowledge to, to move from our heads and move to our hearts. He doesn't want us to, to just read these things. Now, now, what we're going to be doing here as we study through these seven statements is, is something that we call Christology. It's like the study of Christ, the study of who he is. But that's, it's important that we understand that if you are truly studying and understanding the person of Jesus Christ, you understand that you must also know him. And that we as people then must have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus in the same way that John does. In the same way that John desires for us to as he records through the life and the, 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 the ministry of Jesus. So this morning we we, uh, we we're going to start in this this with this one uh, this one statement that Jesus makes and he says I am the bread of life and this one is this was a little bizarre we're going to read a big chunk of text this morning and just bear with me we're going to read it together and so take if you've got your Bible open to John chapter six and we're going to read verses twenty two through fifty eight it's going to take us a little bit of time but I think it's really important for us to see everything that's going on in this in this picture. Everything that's going on is like the what, what's leading into Jesus making the statement, and then what comes out of Jesus making the statement, based on the reactions that the that the crowd had, that the disciples had, that everyone had when Jesus made the statement. So John chapter six, twenty-two through fifty-eight, and I'll begin reading in verse twenty-two. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one. And that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they had ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you seek, because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. This is referring back to the feeding of the 5,000 that, that, that comes right up to this, this passage. Do not work for the food which perishes, perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent, who he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign 
so that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father uh, who gives the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him, because he had said, I am the bread of life that came down out of heaven. They were saying, it is not this Jesus, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I will give for the, life, uh, for, for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me and also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So, big chunk of text right there. There's a lot going on. We're going we're gonna to break down some of this. We're going we're gonna to go in and we're going to dive in in a couple of these areas. Um, but, but something that really came to me as, as I was preparing, like, we're all probably going to go eat lunch today, right? We're all going to go eat lunch. Is anyone not going to eat lunch today? No, we're all going to eat lunch. Um, and it's Valentine's Day, so it might be special or it might not. Never know. So, so we 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 are now looking at this text as ones who have to eat, right? We're looking at this text as ones who have to eat and have to eat regularly. At at five or six o'clock tonight, even if you ate a good lunch, you're going to have to eat again. 
you're going to have to eat again. You're just going to be like, man, I'm really hungry. If you don't, you better, You can probably go a little while longer. You can go a ways. But, but we're probably all going to sit down and have dinner at 5 or 6 or whatever you regularly eat. Um, and the, the reason simply is this. We're going to get hungry. And there, there's something in the, our lives is food. It doesn't, it doesn't fully satisfy. It can't ultimately satisfy us. It can't, it, you can't just eat one thing and then move on from that and then never have to eat again. We have to continually be feeding our, ourselves in order to be sustained. And so the people in John 6, as we come to this text, the people, they got hungry too. And they just came off of this, this, this event, this sign. John calls these miracles, what we call miracles, John calls signs. We just came off of this event where Jesus fed 5,000 people with, uh, with, uh, with very little. With just a few loaves and a few fish. And he fed them all. And this is, this is really just kind of this lead into our text. And, and, and the people are thinking to themselves, what on earth? What is going on? And then Jesus says to them, hey, you guys, you, you didn't come to me. You didn't come to me because you, because you saw that sign. You came to me because you were hungry. Because you just wanted to get food. And they were probably saying to themselves, they probably saw this sign. They're saying, do you see what happened? That's insane. Like, how did that happen? There were just a few loaves and a few fish. And, and we were all fed by that. And they probably saw this too. They, they were looking for these kinds of signs. They, the, the people, the Jews, they were looking for these kinds of signs. They, they were saying, oh, look at this. Food out of nowhere. This is like the Israelites in the desert. This is like manna coming out of heaven. This is, this is maybe this is the Messiah. They're probably thinking along this, these lines a little bit. And they're probably freaking out a little bit. But, but then when you get to verse 26, Jesus says, you, didn't, you guys didn't, you didn't come to me because I showed you that sign. You came to me just because you were simply hungry. So, so this leads us to our big idea this morning. This, this is it. And this is what I want you to hear this morning as we, as we talk through this, this, this long text this morning. Jesus' proclamation that he is the bread of life indicates that he is God. First, that he is God and Unlike the manna in the wilderness, God's ultimate life-giving provision for his people. Let me read that again. Jesus' proclamation that he is the bread of life indicates that he is God, and unlike the manna in the wilderness, God's ultimate life-giving provision for his people. So in this text, we see, we see three tensions. We see three tensions that we want to talk about this morning that exist there's like the people and Jesus and the Jews and Jesus and all this, all of these things going on here. There's a lot of confusion between the people and what Jesus is saying. So there are three tensions that we can learn from this morning. One, uh, the tension between God and man. We're going to flesh these out. Two, the tension between the temporary and the lasting. And then three, the tension between life and death. So let's take these in, in turn. First of all, the tension between God and man. And we're going to talk about this one. This is going to be a theme. Because when Jesus makes the proclamation, I am, 
And then he says, in this instance, I am the bread of life. He's really making a statement about uh, the fact that he is God. He's making a statement about his deity. He's not just saying, I am X. He's saying, I am. He's saying, I am God. And so this claim is going to come up time and time again because all of these seven statements that we're going to look at throughout the, the next few weeks are going to uh, hold true. They all begin with this, with these two words, I am. And this is Jesus claiming to be God. So and when, when, when the reader and even the people who participated in this event heard Jesus say that, they would have been called back to the uh, they would have been called back to the the events in in the book of Exodus where Moses encountered God at the burning bush, and Moses asked asked his people he asked God when his people are going to be liberated and and because they're they're enslaved in Egypt, and God they have this interaction and then, and then Moses Moses comes to him and says, "Who am I going to say who sent me?" Like. How are they going to believe that this was you? Like, why, why would I, why, I'm going to go there and what's going to happen? Like, how, how is this even going to play itself out? And God simply says, I am who I am. And he tells Moses to say, I am has sent me. I am has sent me. So as John's readers would have noticed this connection immediately, right? Like, we as the readers noticed this and the people who participated in this event would have would have noted this connection almost immediately. That John ties these simple statements that Jesus said about who he is and that are, part, are, are profoundly unique. He ties these in and gives a glimpse of, of who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus is God, but he's not 50-50. He's fully God and he's fully man. And then, let's look at this text. Let's look at verse 42. And this sort of grumbling. And this is kind of like, this is the, our key that they, they recognize that Jesus was making a claim to be God. This is our key here because of what they say. Is, this, is, it, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? It's like, I know this dude's parents. He's like, I know who they are. And now he's claiming to have come down out of heaven. I know this guy's parents. And this is, this is kind of the crux of this. This is why this is so important for us. Because uh, he's claiming to have come down from heaven. But Jesus is not claiming to give bread, like he even did at the beginning of John chapter 6 when he feeds the 5,000. He's not claiming to just give bread, he's claiming to be bread. That's a big difference. He's not claiming to give bread, but to be bread. And that's what they didn't get, that's what they didn't understand. They said, like, how is he coming down out of heaven? It was like, the, his, his parentage right here... Uh, it, Joseph and Mary, that's not what, what's important. What's important is what he's claiming to be. He's claiming to be bread. That's what they didn't get. And, and this is it. This is, this is it. This is where we find this tension between God and man. God's way to bring satisfaction to his people is freely giving of himself. Is freely giving of himself. That is what uh, it means that God is satis bringing satisfaction to his people. 
The bread that Jesus, even though it was a supernatural event, even though God, through Jesus, was, was feeding those people with just a couple of loaves and a, and a couple of fish, they were not satisfied. And they came back to Jesus and they said, we need more food. We need more food. We need more food. And even their reaction, even what they say when Jesus says initially, or when he says in verse 33, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven that gives life to the world, referring to himself, then they say to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Like, always give it. Like, this needs to be a continuous thing. But Jesus is saying, no, this is one time. I came down from heaven in order that, uh, in order that I might satisfy everything that you need once and for all. So God's way to bring satisfaction to his people is through giving freely of himself. So that's the first tension between God and man and the understanding that we have and, and Jesus as fully God and fully man. The second one that we see here is the, and this is the one we really want to camp out in this morning, is between the temporary and the lasting. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate loaves and were filled. <coughs> Jesus says that the crowd wanted to find him not because they saw him feed them supernaturally, but because they were just fed. What are we talking about this? They're just fed. And Jesus, like, he almost wrecks, he just wrecks the people's understanding here. He just goes right at them. Jesus demonstrates his authority through performing this sign, through feeding the people in a supernatural way, but they, but they don't get what that's pointing to. They don't understand what that's, what that's ultimately meant to achieve. They just said, we were hungry and we got some food. And then they, what they do is effectively elevate the gift above the giver. Right? Jesus was the giver, he is the giver of life. But they take the gift. They take the bread. They take the, the, the thing that's physical sitting right in front of them and they elevate that gift above the giver. And really, ultimately then, this is where we find this tension between the temporary and the lasting. They elevate the temporary above the lasting. They take what, uh, what they know in their immediate circumstance and put it above what lasts. And so Jesus cuts right to the heart of the crowd. And it starts with this interaction. And he says, work for the food that endures to eternal life. In verse 27, do not work for a food which perishes, but for a food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. And then the people, look at the, look at the people in verse 28. What did they say? Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? What shall we do so we may work the works of God? And Jesus simply says, Believe in him who he has sent, which is Jesus. Believe in him in whom he has sent. Don't believe the stuff that he gives you, but in him. Then, then this is where this 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 text just gets so crazy 
Because then they say in verse 30, so they said to him, what do you do for a sign so that we might believe you? Are you kidding? He just gave you a crazy sign. Like he just gave you, he just, he just multiplied all of this food out of, out of almost nothing. And he gave you this incredible sign demonstrating his own authority. Five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 people. And, and you read this in, in our immediate thought and what John, why John is recording that. So we say, really? Is that, is that really your question? And if we go back even where we started to, to read in this, in this text in verse 22, they, they perceived that not all the boats were present, right? The people even noticed that, right? They were like, like, hey, there was a boat and the disciples got in, but all the boats are still here, but Jesus is, how did Jesus get over here? And so there was, there was this, the, Jesus didn't hop in that boat that the disciples took. So there's something going on there too. I mean, like, logical conclusion, right? Something happened. Jesus got here from point A to point B. He didn't go around. That would take a really, really long time. He didn't go around. And then they asked for this sign, like manna out of the wilderness, like their fathers. The, the funny thing is, actually, verse 30, what, the, the second half of this, what work do you perform? And then verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Oh, okay. It's like that. That again. That just that just happened. Literally, just a, a, a few verses ago. And here, here's the turn. Now. And this is where Jesus. This is why this is so important in verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you bread out of heaven, but my Father who gives true bread out of heaven. I'm not going to do that again. Is what he's saying. I'm not going to. I'm not just going to feed you again. With food, it's like with bread and fish. I'm not just going to feed you again. This is what I'm pointing to. I'm pointing to the fact that that I can provide something to you that's not temporary, but something that's lasting. Look at verse 35 then. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. This is the direct contrast to the food that the people are seeking. This is the direct contrast. The temporary, just regular food, just, just some, some loaves and some fish. And the lasting, which is Jesus. Remember that Jesus came not to give bread, but to be bread. Really kind of at the heart of what Jesus is doing here is exposing idolatry in the people. And he's... And John recording this is exposing idolatry in us. He's telling the crowd that they're seeking the wrong thing. And that they're making gods out of things that are temporary. Not looking for a lasting provision. They wanted, they wanted food. They wanted drink. They wanted signs. They wanted bloodlines. They wanted history. <clears throat> And some of you here this morning got up this morning, came to, came to gather here with us, and tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you're immediately going to seek satisfaction in something other than Jesus. This is exactly what John is recording these events for us for. 
we're immediately going to seek satisfaction other than Jesus. You're going you're to seek satisfaction in your work. You're going to seek satisfaction in the approval of others. You're going to seek satisfaction in your marriage. You're going to seek satisfaction in food and drink. You're going to seek satisfaction in entertainment. Friends, this is idolatry. This is idolatry. God's command to have no other God before him is violated when we find our satisfaction in something other than Jesus Christ. So we must daily combat this, this understanding, this, this, this natural inclination that we have to, to seek satisfaction in something else. And not a day goes by where we don't do this. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. And Jesus is God. So practically, how do we do this? This, this, is, this is all great and fine. But, but how do we do this? One, we have to grow in our understanding of the gospel. This is something that we continue to talk about. I can't say it enough. We have to continue to grow in our understanding of the gospel. The understanding of the good news of the gospel is a lifelong pursuit. It's not a, it's not a, once, once, a once a lifetime thing where we just pray a prayer and we, we say, okay, now I'm good. Now I'm saved. Understanding and recognizing what God has done for us in Jesus is something that we must do every single moment of every single Understanding the gospel is so fundamentally important to the Christian life. And then pray that you would be conscious throughout your day when you're finding satisfaction or seeking, most likely seeking satisfaction in something other than Jesus. It's like, I do this all the time, like, as I was preparing this week, every, it's like every moment, like, my interactions with my wife, I'm like, oh, if I, I just want those to go well. My interactions with my kids, I just want those to go well. My interactions with, with people at work, I just want those to go well. I'm seeking satisfaction in the approval of others. Guess what? Their approval is, is meaningless. It doesn't satisfy because tomorrow, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to say something really awkward. And then they're going to say, that guy's a dork. And then it's all going to unravel. It's all going to unravel. It's just, it's not sustainable. It does not satisfy to seek, your, to seek satisfaction in the, in the approval of others or anything. <coughs> I love to read. I love, I love TV. I love all of these things that I go to, and I was like, man, if I could just escape. It's like escape. So I could just escape for a few minutes and, then, and find some satisfaction in these things. That is idolatry. I'm seeking satisfaction in something other than Jesus. And so when we find ourselves doing that, the response must be then repentance. We as a people are, that is, that is sin. <coughs> Idolatry is sin. It is the very definition of sin. And this is, I'm serious when I say this, we have to turn from it. This is a, the heart of sin. We're, we're pridefully relying on ourselves to find satisfaction in something other than Jesus. We're giving something else supremacy in our life other than Jesus. 
We are exchanging the gift for the giver. We are exchanging the lasting for the temporary. And so that second tension, this temporary and the lasting, this is what Jesus is cutting at. This is what Jesus is getting at when he, when he talks so specifically and pointedly to those who are participating in the crowd and asking these questions. So, two tensions so far. God and man, temporary and lasting, and then finally life and death. And this is really kind of our final tension. So we'll, we'll dive into a conclusion after this. Look at verse 49 with me. Look at verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And then verse 50. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life, for the life of the world is my flesh. And knowing Jesus then here, knowing Jesus is the difference between life and death. The Israelites in the wilderness ate the bread that came down from heaven, and they still died. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. They still died. They saw this supernatural thing happen in their world, and then they ate it, and then they, they, they grumbled about it, and then they died. They, they got old, and they died. Jesus is the better manna that comes down out of heaven. Eternal life exists, those who eat that bread. We don't rely for our life. We don't rely on things. Like, our physical life is, is, uh, is contingent upon eating. Like, we can't not eat. Like we said at the outset, you get hungry again. But there is something. Jesus is saying, ultimate, everlasting life is not found in just consuming bread. Ultimate everlasting life is found in me. That's what Jesus is saying. And this then is the gospel. This is the gospel. The tension between life and death here. Jesus came into the world so that we might live. He shed his blood for the remission of sins. His body was broken so that we might be clothed in righteousness. He was raised so that one day we might also be raised. He is bread so that we might be satisfied. <clears throat> the tension then between life and death. Bread that leads to life and bread that simply doesn't, that's temporary. So, concluding this morning, in conclusion, um, we're, we're, we're leaving here this morning and headed out to eat lunch, probably together or, you know, at home or wherever that is. And then later you're going to get hungry, so you're going to take your Valentine out for a, a candlelight dinner. It's going to be really romantic. It's going to be great. Or it might not be that great. You might have to send the food back. <laughs> that might happen too. I mean, is it just, just reality. Like, that's just reality. But ultimately here, this is what we're talking about. We, we must find satisfaction in Jesus. He is better than the man in the wilderness. He is better than the sign that he gave uh, in multiplying the fish and the loaves. He is God. We get the giver, not just the gift. He is given freely of himself, and that is how he has made a provision for us. And now we are free. We want to use this language of freedom. We are free to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
because he has given freely of himself. So together in, in community, as we think about what this means for our community, let's encourage one another to find our satisfaction in Jesus alone. That fact of the matter is that the rest of the world, uh, what it's offering just isn't viable. It just, it's, not, it's offering things that are temporary, not lasting. Things that lead to death, not life. So we must together, as a community, as a body, come together and say, I, I want to point you towards Jesus. You're finding your satisfaction in something other than Jesus. You're finding satisfaction in a relationship. You're finding satisfaction in entertainment. You're finding satisfaction in, in whatever it is. Like, just pick something that's not Jesus. You're finding satisfaction in that. Like, we as a community are coming to you and saying, no, like, we need to, as a people, find satisfaction in, in Jesus. All of these things, all these worldly things are screaming out to us. Find your satisfaction in me. And that's why we need to do this together. This is hard to do alone. So like if you just internalize all of this, it's going to be bad. Community is a God-ordained, spirit-inspired way that we are compelled to find satisfaction in Jesus. John is writing this to a community of people. John is writing this to a group of people. He's not just saying, hey, read this in your closet and go try and figure it out by yourself. He's saying, you all together get together and do this together. Find satisfaction in Jesus. So let me prompt you in this way this morning. Again, this is big. Jesus doesn't give bread. He is bread. We must then, as he says, feast on him. We must grow in our understanding of the gospel. We must reflect on what God has done for us in Jesus. Us together in Jesus. The sin that separated you from God. The reconnection with God through Jesus, and then the promise of an eternity spent basking in the glory of God. That is all satisfying, and that's only found in Jesus Christ. So together, we must feast on the Word of God, and we must savor Jesus. Let's pray.